0: You're listening to the next phase of Cybersecurity Podcast. With this series, you can stay up to date with all the latest information and trends in the cybersecurity space by hearing from today's leading analysts, end users, and vendors so that you can be prepared for all scenarios to help protect your business.
1: Hello, and welcome to the next phase of Cybersecurity Podcast. My name is Max Curtin, Head of Content here at EM360 and your host on this podcast. Make sure you stay up to date with all of our latest episodes by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you go for your podcasting needs. In today's episode, I'm being joined by Richard Walters, who is the CTO at Centinet. Richard is here to talk about indicators of behavior, and more specifically, why the threat detection approach is a better security stance than the traditional indicators of compromise method. Richard, welcome to the show, and thanks so much for joining me today. Max, a pleasure. Look forward to talking to you. Yeah, it's great to have you on, and uh, I'm looking forward to delving into the subject matter, because I think there's uh, a lot of key points that we can make here. But before we get into that, would you mind just giving our listeners a bit of background on yourself and maybe sensing that?
0: Yeah, absolutely, of course. So Richard Walters, um, I've been in information security for uh, longer than I care to remember, certainly approaching 30 years now. Um, Started my career in the early days with Digital Equipment Corporation, working on large VAX VMS systems. And, you know, obviously it was Digital Equipment Corporation that wrote the very first paper on firewalls back in, I think it was 1987. So being involved with security from the outset, really, Uh, I spent six years as CTO at Integralis, um, Europe's largest security systems integrator, and then have also founded and sold several cybersecurity companies more recently in my career.
1: Amazing stuff. Love love the experience. Always brings a a good amount to the conversation. So thank you for that. Um, Let's start the show then by kind of setting the scene about what we're going to be talking about today. So obviously many cybersecurity professionals listening to this are going to be familiar with indicators of compromise. Uh, They've historically been used to respond to cyber attacks, but let's just get the definitions down first. So what are IOBs and how exactly do they differ from
0: IOCs? Um, well, I guess the, the key difference is that um, IOBs, if you move from looking at indicators of compromise and you start to focus on behaviour, uh, then actually what it allows you to do is, is be more proactive rather than reactive. Uh, the whole idea of being able to identify indicators of behaviour um, is so that you can spot um, attacks or incidents um, before they actually take place. Um, so it's it's a shift from um, almost trying to, you know, lock the barn door after the horse has bolted, um yeah. to, to getting onto the onto the front foot. And I think that sort of goes in line with some other initiatives that we're seeing within um, yeah, the security space in general. So it's a good time to be talking about how indicators of behaviour are probably more relevant um, in the future of cybersecurity than um, the old model of looking at compromises, because that, by definition, um, is reactive rather than proactive. Yeah, I, I, I think that I agree with that. And it's very much that's the
1: motto that a lot of cybersecurity professionals need to be taking or are already taking from that perspective. I also want to obviously we're talking about how IOBs and IOCs kind of interact and work together but it's also important for us to kind of lay out from your perspective what's the current landscape in the cybersecurity space and how is our conversation really impacting those areas in terms of like where does IOCs and IOBs fit into what we're seeing at the moment as trends in this space
0: Yeah I think they I think they fit in really well with um some of the other things that we're seeing I mean yeah you know, the perimeter finally died a death really last year, mm. uh, as everybody ran for their you know their garages, their their sheds, um, their spare bedrooms, um, their kitchens or whatever. You know suddenly the old perimeter um, really became irrelevant in many respects, and what's replaced that traditional perimeter is a new perimeter that is based on context and, in particular, identity. Um, but also there's things like you know device posture, device integrity, the location of the user or the device, the geolocation of the user or the device, and actually when you think about it, when you're looking at all of this contextual information, both at the time of authentication when the when the user is first trying to authenticate and then onwardly connect to services, as well as almost continuously assessing changes in context throughout the session, what you're really talking about is actually behavior. And you're looking at, over time, building up a picture of what is usual for a given user or a given device. Or actually, it could be another entity. It could be what's usual for a mailbox or a folder in OneDrive, for example, or some other sort of object in the cloud somewhere, maybe an S3 bucket. Um, And what you're really looking at is continuously assessing contextual information that allow you to continuously assess risk. The inverse of risk is obviously trust.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's where you start to move towards zero trust, for example, and zero trust network access. So it's almost as though um, this is all coming together in that, you know, zero trust is is the first point on the journey to um, you know, the new thing, the next big thing, which is the secure access um, service edge or SASI. And again, this is all about continuously assessing risk and trust. And that really translates into behaviour. And so with the demise of the perimeter, with um, you know everybody working from home, it looks as though everybody's going to continue to work from home for some time yet. You know, more than half of organisations are saying they're never going to return to the old way of working completely. And so I think this new perimeter, based on context and identity, is going to be with us for a long time. And it does all lead us in the direction of, you know, initially zero trust and zero trust network access. Um, If you get into behavior and context, then um, that absolutely supports, um, you know, zero trust initiatives and, and zero trust implementations. But beyond that, it also helps with the direct journey towards that, you know, that next destination that we're now aware of, which is sassy potentially
1: 100
0: mm-hmm. percent agree it, it's uh always interesting when i do these podcasts
1: and i can see the trends coming on the horizon because over the past year and a half the amount of conversations i've had around zero trust and sassy is uh is far out what was done in previous years so it's interesting to see these shifts and these trends coming in for sure and i'm very curious now to kind of obviously, we're here to discuss the benefits of kind of IOBs and we're seeing security experts, you know, advising CISOs and a lot of organizations and their teams to start making this switch, you know, from IOCs to IOBs. So what is it that makes IOBs far more beneficial for businesses?
0: Well, I guess the, the sort of traditional approach, the the sort of manual approach uh, and the kind of response approach. So the idea that you you detect something that's already happened and then you respond to it. You're really focusing on minimizing damage at that point. And kind of the variables are time to detect and time to contain uh, and ultimately you know time to recover. When you take that kind of reactive manual response type approach, then that's high risk. It's also high cost it also comes with the most liability. And it's therefore strange in a way to think that that's where most of the the industry is focused. Actually, what we're talking about really is a drive to a place where security is far more automated, where you are being more proactive, you're in a sort of prevent mode rather than a a detect and respond mode. Um, And if you can move to that place, then you have much lower risk That translates into much lower cost, which in turn limits liability. So what's not to like in a way, I guess, Max?
1: Yeah, it's uh, when you lay it out like that, it's going to have a lot of people kind of scratching their heads going, oh, why have we not had this sooner? (laughs) It's going to be that kind of (laughs) approach to things. Um, You mentioned in there, obviously, the lower costs, and and that's what always gets uh, people's attentions when they're listening to this podcast and they're looking for new solutions. So let's just focus on that for a little bit and just ask, what kind of ROI are businesses likely to see if they do center their threat detection strategy on IOBs?
0: Well, I think there is a cost, a significant cost associated with fixing something after it's gone wrong or after it's gone broken. Mm -hmm. Um, If you can design it out in the first place, I guess it's back to that prevention is better than cure again. It's always significantly cheaper to prevent rather than than to cure post-event, I suppose. And this is really no different to incidents that happen in the physical world or incidents that happen with um, vulnerabilities in software, for example. Um, If you can design a software development lifecycle in such a way that that lifecycle is secure so that you are releasing code that has much fewer bugs or issues or vulnerabilities within it. you know. I think IBM once did a, a study and an analysis that showed that it's about 100 times more expensive to you know, fix an error in software post-release than it is to detect it and pick it up in that software development lifecycle before you release the code. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is really no different. Um, whether the the orders of magnitude are the same or not i guess we're yet to discover that but i think it is it's at least the theory points to the fact that if you start to move from you know respond and react to automated prevention based on automatically monitoring behavior you know the americans would call it user and entity behavior analytics or ueba then i think the the cost savings are massive, potentially, for organisations. All of the analysts in every single SOC, they're all suffering from alert fatigue and alert overload. And I think also the, the challenge with looking at indicators of compromise as well is the disproportionate cost of false positives and false negatives. A lot of the analyst's role is actually to identify which are the alerts and which are the events that are worthy of investigation and which are actually real and and not false positives or false negatives. suddenly all of that that hidden cost um, is also re- removed from the from the equation as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the cost savings could potentially be uh, very, very significant.
1: Yeah, which is which is music to everyone's ears when when we're talking about people in the space, and it, it's always interesting that we we have to kind of outline to be proactive rather than reactive. You know, we'd think that we've been doing this long enough that that we don't really have to say that anymore, but it, it's still the case that that we do, and it's it's interesting to kind of hear that kind of making life easier and. We'll get into the integration element in a little bit because I, I feel like that's important. And this is what holds a lot of organizations back from getting to this point. But but for those who are kind of looking to getting into this area, which IOBs do organizations need to be particularly on the lookout for and, and why is that?
0: Um, well, I guess there's a significant number of, of sort of behavior elements or, or or indicates that you'd want to look for. But it's it's literally everything from, you know, creating or changing um, scheduled tasks potentially to users installing new applications or services, creation of new user accounts, sending of emails to uh, a domain that you've never sent emails to before potentially creating new objects in the cloud or spinning up new machines in the in the virtual enterprise environment but also every time a user accesses stored data um, or every time they they run queries or every time they export data or download data all of those are very valuable indicators of behavior potentially that can allow you to spot anomalies and outliers over different intervals of time as well so The real key to to behaviour is that you look at behaviour in terms of comparing this minute to the last minute, this hour to the last hour, but then also today versus yesterday, this week versus last week, this month versus last month, and then quarter on quarter, year on year eventually. So you can can look at behaviour over varying time intervals or time slices, and that can tell you and indicate different things based on whether, you know, an attack is is sudden um, and an acute attack, or whether it's a low and slow attack that is is taking place over, you know, many months or many years. As we all know, there have been instances of, you know, APTs in large enterprises that have gone completely unnoticed for, you know, I think it was 10 years in the case of Nortel. If you were Using advanced um, user and entity behavior analytics, um, it shouldn't be possible for a attack to go unnoticed for um, anything like that length of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is extremely important.
1: Kind of going forward, of just being again, it comes down to can we react now? We we don't want stuff lingering in the background and causing more damage than it needs to be doing uh, at the end of the day. And I alluded to this this earlier when I was talking about the. Other element of the implementation? And I feel like I know the answer, but it's good to ask anyway. So so when it comes to this in terms of teams, security teams moving from IOCs to IOBs, how should they approach this? Is it a step by step transition or is it a switch flick-off between the two?
0: No, I think it's uh, very much a step by step. I think it's you know it's it's iterative and it's incremental. You know, when you look at things like zero trust, for example, because I think this is this is. Quite closely related in many ways to to, to zero trust um, implementations. You know, zero trust is not binary; it's not on or off. It can be you know incremental um, and iterative. And I I don't think moving from IOCs to IObS is any different. And you know, the father of zero trust was John Kindervag, who you know back in 2010, when he was a principal analyst at Forrester, came up with the the initial zero trust model, if you like. And very interestingly, he started now to talk about um, protect surfaces rather than the attack surface, because, you know, the attack surface is, is large, it's forever evolving. Uh, for most organizations, it's expanding, not contracting. Um, and actually, it's much easier, therefore, to think in terms of the inverse of the attack surface, which is the protect surface. So maybe, you know, you start within the organization, I want to be more proactive in the way that I protect Microsoft 365 or Office 365 um, in my organization. And so you can start to think about the kind of indicators of behavior that you would look at in order to proactively protect that particular protect surface. And you can Therefore, take one protect surface at a time. And so you can start to move just as you can move from, um, you know, where you are today to a position of zero trust, sort of protect surface by protect surface or, you know, critical application by critical application. Um, You can really do exactly the same around um, the move from IOCs to IOBs. Um, It's not big bang. It's not, you know, you throw the, the giant switch on a Friday night and come back into mayhem on Monday morning. Um, it can be a lot more uh, phased, and it can be, you know, an iterative and incremental adoption.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's uh, exactly the right approach to take. Uh, whenever we see these great um, introductions to an organization, doing those step-by-step plans is so important. Having a plan in the first place is always a good place to start. But then, it's sticking to that and <laughs> moving forward as we as we kind of progress with it. Um, I've only got really one last question for you and uh, it, it's kind of about the future and where this is heading because it's interesting to kind of understand from your perspective where IOBs are going to fit into the future of cybersecurity in the enterprise or I should say, where do you hope that they're going to fit in?
0: <laughs> well, I think we know that we're on the sassy journey now. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Gartner have, have done a pretty good job of um, educating us all on that point. But it's not going to stop there. You know, it, we're not going to arrive at SASE and suddenly, you know, that will be the end of the security journey. We'll have arrived at the final destination. Yeah, you know, there's going to be something beyond uh, beyond SASSY, and I think you know we, we can already start to visualise what that might look like. And I think you know beyond SASSY, there is a place where you know we kind of refer to it as SenseNet as um, security decoupled, where actually where you set policy and where policy gets enforced are completely separated. So it's moving to this place where you you go into a single interface somewhere, you set policy, um, and then your security ecosystem goes off and automatically enforces policy wherever it's relevant and wherever it's needed. And in order to do that, then you know behavior becomes more and more important so you know behavior is starting to become more important with zero trust Um, it becomes even more important when you move into a a sassy world but then as you go beyond that to a world where you, you know you set policy and then you almost forget about it and the ecosystem is 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 Auto adapting um, and enforcing that policy in in whatever way and wherever it needs to be, um, you can just see that behavior is going to become even more important. Whether that's user behavior or device behavior, or again, you know, behavior associated with some other um, entity or some other container or object somewhere.
1: Yeah, it's uh, exciting for sure to kind of see where the space is heading and, and the growth potential of it. And as you mentioned with sassy uh coming in and becoming more of a a predominant feature uh i'm glad it's not the the end of the cybersecurity journey because i wouldn't have a job to do anymore so i'm glad (laughs) that it's going to be around for a while um richard thank you for coming on today talking us through all of this uh i think it's a fascinating area that people should be exploring a lot more and and kind of learning about so thanks for coming on and, and educating our listeners for it max it's been an absolute pleasure i hope to speak to you again soon Me too. Thank you very much, Richard. And thank you everyone who took the time to listen to this episode. We do hope you took a lot away. Uh, If you're looking for more information around the areas that we've discussed today, Sensornet.com does have some great insights on their website. Uh, They've got a great feature at the moment on what is SASE. So there's a lot of good case studies and webinars that you can check out there. From our perspective, if you would like to learn more or have a discussion around this, then you can follow us on our social channels, which is Twitter and LinkedIn, and that's at EM360Tech. Now, subscribe to this podcast on all major platforms. And for more great daily content, please head on over to em360tech.com.